Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. You're with Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and of course we're on your smart speaker as well. Coming up, Cameron's comeback, a shock return for ex-Prime Minister David Cameron as Rishi Sunak takes the biggest gamble of his political career, making his predecessor Foreign Secretary, can you believe? Plus, Luella Bradford's marching orders. Today's dramatic reshuffle started with the sacking of the Home Secretary after she was accused of stoking tensions when criticising the police. Plus, seven more men are charged over disorder on Armistice Day after protesters clashed with police and more than 300,000 people attended that pro-Palestinian march. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It is your home of common sense. People of Britain, there has never been a time when this country needed common sense more than it does now. The United Kingdom of Great Britain is under siege. It is under siege from those who wish to do us harm. It is under siege from an establishment that wishes to change its nature. And it is even under siege from its own government. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak this morning left us all in no doubt about where he's heading. And it would appear to be over a cliff. He said he's built a united team, ready to deliver the changes this country needs for the long term. I don't know why he's not going to be here in the long term. He's fired the only cabinet minister that was in tune with conservative voters and brought back a man who was seen as the leader who most betrayed a nation and a party. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the return of David Cameron, the conservative prime minister who thought staying in the European Union was so important he would set up Brexiteers for a massive fall in the 2016 referendum. Trouble is... Famously, he got that wrong as well. Meanwhile, Rishi Sunak fired Suella Braverman for, in the words of my viewers, standing up to hate speech, anti-Semitism and Islamic Jihad on the streets of the United Kingdom. And that was some move. Already at least one MP has fired a letter into the 1922 committee expressing no confidence in the Prime Minister. And as if all this isn't bad enough, they've had to hand Cameron a peerage so he could serve in the Cabinet, even though he's unlikely to ever have to answer for government policy. Let's face it. He's not exactly got a stellar record when it comes to international affairs. And this is not exactly what I call democracy. Word in Downing Street is that Sunak is gambling a move to the centre ground is where the votes are. That the centre ground will prevent annihilation at the next election. Well, that's another big mistake. Because the Conservatives have taken their voters for granted one time too many. Getting softer on crime, softer on immigration, softer on the European Union. None of that is the answer, I'm afraid. But increasingly, voters will look for another answer, and that might well be reform, who are currently throwing their own karaoke party to celebrate. Coming up tonight, we'll bring you the latest from Number 10 and the latest from the Tory heartlands. And of course, we want to hear from you too. We've got Peter Hitchens, we've got Isabel Oakeshott, we've got Alan Miller, we've got Laura Dodsworth, we've got Claire Fox, we've got Rafe Heidel Mancou. Of course, it's the A-team tonight, and you don't want to go anywhere else. The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones, 0344 499 1000. Calls will cost you the standard national rate. Now, this Rishi reshuffle today saw sacking, shock returns, and now calls tonight for the Prime Minister to go as votes of no confidence are submitted. But as Talk TV correspondent Oliver Whitfield Mirchich explains, it was the case of Dave Jarvu that stole the headlines. Mike, it's been a long day reporting here in Downing Street, a day full of surprises and twists and turns. Who would have imagined that David Cameron, the former Prime Minister who 
led the country into the Brexit referendum, would be back in control of one of the great officers of state. He's taken over from James Cleverley, who's been moved over to the Home Office to replace Suella Braverman, who was sacked this morning over her controversial statements about homeless uh, people using that as a lifestyle choice, as well as a very strong opinion piece that she wrote in the Times newspaper. We've also seen quite a few junior ministers leaving their roles and the main thing in behind that is that they will be standing down at the next election and so they want to leave in time so that they can put their notice through the various parliamentary processes that have got to be achieved before they can then get a job outside of government. This has all been seen as a huge shift for the Prime Minister, a reset before any type of general election and bringing the likes of David Cameron back into the fold is seen as a shift more towards the centre ground, especially after sacking Suella Braverman who was to the right of the uh, political spectrum when it comes to the Conservatives. The big questions though are what sort of blowback will the Prime Minister face from letting go of Suella Braverman. Allies say that they are going to hold a meeting about what has happened today and potentially look at what a Suella Braverman leadership bid would look like. This story far from over and it's also going to be very interesting to see how warm a reception will be between Michael Gove and David Cameron because in his memoir David Cameron labelled Michael Gove mendacious and said that he'd not only stabbed himself in the back but he'd also stabbed Boris Johnson in the back too. Thank you Oliver. Joining me now in the studio kicking us off tonight writer and broadcaster Candice Holdsworth and Man on Sunday columnist Peter Hitchens is here as well. Candice, uh, welcome to the show. Um, crash, bang, wallop, I suppose you might start off with. I mean, the return of David Cameron, the sacking um, of Suella Braverman, just an amazing day, really. It is. That is the political comeback that no one foresaw. I yeah. mean, it wasn't even leaked at all. No one even revealed it. Yeah. And it must have been going on for some time that they were in talks with David Cameron to do this. This isn't something he decided overnight. Right. Especially because Although, he has to be made a lord yeah. to do this role. Well, that's. I guess they'd have to check that you could do that. And a lot of people are not happy about the fact that he's suddenly become a lord out of nowhere I know. as well. And yeah. therefore, he won't really be able to answer for any of the policy decisions that, that the government makes and that he carries out. But also, um, you know, it was only a couple of days ago that uh, the famous sort of football manager quote came out from Rishi Sunak. They had great confidence in Suella Braverman. I'm assuming that quite come Sunday night and Monday morning, he just couldn't take any more of the, the kind of um, the two fingers salute from her where she was simply just rubbing his nose in it. Well, I just wonder though if she had an inkling of this. She must have done. I mean, did this come as a shock? He must have been planning this for a while because this is a real shift in strategy now. You know, it's clear that he's like, well, what I've been doing so far isn't working. It's not moving the dial. I've been trying to do something with net zero. I've done a bit with HS2. I've appealed to the right of the Tory party and I'm still down in the polls. Yeah. I'm going to go down the centrist route. Right. I think he must have been thinking that way. Let's call Peter Hitchens into the fray because, Peter, uh, you've in the past with me very vociferously blamed David Cameron uh, for kind of ruining the Conservative Party and making it into a sort of Blairite um, temple, if you like, of worship at the feet of Tony Blair. Um, you must have been surprised of all people today. Well, of course I was surprised, uh, but not not shocked. You know, the, the event surprised me, but the, the fact is that the Tory party, when David Cameron took it over, was the object of a putsch, a coup d'etat, 
by the Blairites, who decided that they would take it over. Blair himself and his allies have been saying since the early part of the century that the Tory party wouldn't be allowed back into office until it adopted their policies, and David Cameron took it upon himself to do that and proclaimed himself at a not very private dinner to be the heir to Blair and proceeded to be that in, in almost every conceivable way once he came into office. And that's what he represents. And he then tried to, to sacrifice the country to save the Tory party in his ridiculous referendum, uh, which has caused an unlimited constitutional crisis in the country. And as we see now in the Conservative Party, not over yet. Uh, his return, I think, may possibly signal an event which once I would have longed and wished for, but now don't think will lead very far, which is a natural split in the Conservative Party and the defection of quite large numbers of people to the, 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 the Farage direction, which I think now must be a very strong possibility. There's no other message which the, the, the remaining social, moral and political conservatives in the party could get from having David Cameron reappearing, his, 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 his appearance back as a major figure in government, he will be much more, by my guess, than Foreign Secretary, uh, is going to make people say, oh, well, in that case, uh, we've been rejected, we're not wanted. And if there really isn't any reason why we should, uh, why we should take sides between one lot of Blairites and Keir Starmer's Blairites. I, I can still see an argument for, uh, for actually trying to keep Keir Starmer's Blairites out because they have a lot of energy and they have a lot of plans to do things, whereas the Tory party is a tired bladder. But I don't think that's going to persuade many people to come out and vote for the Tories now. No, I don't think it is. And Candice, I mean, I've been seeing all day people saying, I've torn up my car, yeah. this is the final straw, this is the last mistake I'm going to see Richard Sunak make. Um, because it is kind of heading in some ways for uh, an oblivion against all the things that they got elected to do uh, in 2019, isn't it? It is. I mean, I wonder what's going to happen with the Red Wall voters now. I mean, that sort of seems to be forgotten, yeah. that winning strategy. It's almost like the last seven years never happened. Mm. And we want to pretend that they never happened. And we want to go back to the world that was normal pre-Brexit and all yeah. the debates that have arisen since then. I just wonder, I mean, maybe they're just trying whatever they can, whatever they can, because they've got nothing to lose right now. And I do know that Suella Braverman, she's kind of seen as this lightning rod. Mm. And she attracts all this ire from those on the left, but also from the so-called centrists. Yeah. And they don't like her, and they're very happy she's gone, and they're very happy David Cameron is back now. And it rather feeds into this narrative, Peter, um, if I can come back to you, that there is a kind of rottenness at the heart of the Tory party, that, you know, there are people who work within it to ruin people, to get them out. Um, and I think I find most amazing about David Cameron is the way people are talking about him, as if he's some kind of senior statesman. I've heard some pundits this evening regarding him as an expert on the Middle East, a man who will be seen there as somebody who can be respected, which is joke laughable after what happened in Libya, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's comical. I mean, the idea that David Cameron is a safe pair of hands and somebody who can, who is, can be entrusted with great offices of state because he occupied very badly the office of Prime Minister for some years is absurd. His performance over Libya remains as bad, if not worse, than that of Blair over, uh, over Iraq. Uh, and he's got away with it largely in public mind for reasons I don't fully understand because actually uh, his overthrow of Gaddafi triggered the migration crisis, which has since destabilized the entire continent of Europe. That's largely his fault, simply, I think, because he wanted a war in his name, and he wanted to, he wanted to, uh, to put some sort of notch in his gun for having overthrown 
a government, and he, he then did, we didn't know what he was going to replace it with or what would be the result. It was totally irresponsible. And, uh, and, and it, it typified his whole, uh, his whole attitude towards government, r- relaxed, ill-informed, uh, cavalier. And there again he did. And there's nothing to suggest uh, that he is going to guide the, the, this government into the ways of responsibility or safety or prosperity or anything at all. I wouldn't rely on him to do anything of the kind. When things got tough for him, uh, as leader of the Conservative Party, he, he, he pulled the ripcord of the referendum and then, and then wandered off yeah. uh, when he lost it. Uh, it, it just, there's nothing there. I don't see, I, he, he makes, he makes Blair look responsible by comparison and, and, and coming from me that is a very considerable insult. Yeah, it really is. Uh, we've got a clip I think of David Cameron today talking about his uh, new position and his return to government. Well, I know it's not usual for a Prime Minister to come back in this way, but I believe in public service. The Prime Minister asked me to do this job, and it's a time where we have some daunting challenges as a country. I mean, he doesn't look any older, which is partly slightly freaking me out. He looks exactly the same age. Why should he? (laughs) Why should he look older? Because age age only makes you older when you've had some experience, but it all passes him by. Also, he doesn't even seem to know that there is a precedent for this. Douglas Hume, the Prime Minister in 63, 64, he then came back as Foreign Secretary, and actually was a very fine Foreign Secretary in in the eyes of many, uh, and is now looked back on by those who can remember him, saying being quite a good Prime Minister too, which is more than you can say for David Cameron. But Cameron doesn't even know. I think the world before he was born is a mystery to him. Uh, he, he kept going on on, I remember about a, a, a British Bill of Rights, completely unaware that there already was one, and had been since 1689. Uh, he didn't know what Magna Carta was. It's astonishing how people of this kind, the thing that always amazed me most about him, was that he somehow managed to get a, a first class degree from the University of Oxford. How did it happen? Well, uh, what is it that he knows? Uh, what is, what is it that he understands so well that puts him in what should be the highest academic class of the country? There's never been any indication. Nothing he's thought or said or done that this is so. And yet we just have a, a, a an ineffectual and uh, and frankly weak and un, uh, unexciting prime minister who can't, doesn't really leave any impression on anybody. And the old joke that was that was told about Clement Attlee rather unfairly was mm. there's an empty taxi drew up and he got out of it. Yeah. But it's much more the case than Rishi, Rishi Sunak. And what is he about? What does he stand for? What does he think? What are his opinions? What are his passions? What drives him? I'm still completely, I'm actually at a loss to know because you don't get any sign, and I believe people who work with him don't get any sign, what is it that he's actually for? And now he's, 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 he's appropriated another political vacuum to stand his side. I, I remember our conversations during the Liz Trust farce, mm. uh, which I suppose is something more than a year ago now, a, a total astonishment standing around, so how can these people make it any worse than they already have? Now we find out how this well, is done. They have managed that incredibly. Um, Candice, what about Andrea Jenkins? She's come out tonight with a letter. She's the first of perhaps many, I don't know, uh, sending a letter to um, the head of the 1922 committee. Basically, no confidence. We can see the letter there. Uh, no confidence in Rishi Sunak. Will this build, do you think? I don't know. I don't know, because so many, when you're this close to an election, Conservative Party MPs can be very opportunistic and quite herd-like as well. So, I mean, unless a critical mass builds up, people will just wait and watch and see what happens. Because she's quite a minor figure. Yeah. I mean, people will follow major figures, but I don't know if they'll follow minor figures. Yes, that's an interesting point. And also, Mike, what what is this stuff about major figures? 
Well, no, there are no major well, things. Well, I don't think there are any. Well, I was going to say, it's I like mean, this discussion of, of, of big beasts that they used to have. There are no big beasts. No. All these little furry creatures scurrying around the, the, the roots of the trees. There are no big beasts. They haven't been for years. They, they've all gone. These, these people are, are not... It, it, the most frightening thing about it is here we are, a, a nuclear power with an important economy and a large population. And the, the, the people who are in charge of it, or in charge of governing in any way, uh, are just, just pr produced by this weird world of professional politics. They come out of Oxford and Cambridge, they serve as special advisors, they get state seats, and then they become ministers. Yeah. And, and here we see, what are they for? Let me ask you the next question, which is surely what we should be talking about, really, which is what I was expecting us to talk about before this morning, was the elephant in the room, which is what is actually going on in the streets of London, where you've got 300,000 people roaming around um, happily doing so, uh, whether they want to break the law or not, they seem able to, uh, whether they want to be racially inciting crowds or not, or attacking people or attacking the police, they seem able to do it. Cyrilla Bravman, at the end of the day, was right about what she said, um, and she's been fired for well, I wouldn't go that far. I'm not a Suella Bravman enthusiast. The people who, who purport to be the right wing of the Conservative Party are not particularly coherent, say, moral or social conservatives. And in fact, one of the things that this demonstration has shown to a lot of people who are interested uh, is a very important thing about the, the nature of some of the, uh, the anti-Israel movement in this country and how quite a lot of it is, is full of people who are prepared to shout um, revolting things about Auschwitz and, uh, and, and say, and, and say even fouler things about Hitler. There are people in this movement who are deeply, deeply unattractive. It's, it's time people realize that that is so and that, uh, and the demonstrations to reveal that one of the virtues of free speech and free protest is that you can see uh, what kind of people you're living alongside. But I, I have to say, I used to demonstrate a lot in my Trotskyist years. And I learned a very important lesson. Demonstrations are demonstrations of impotence. You never see a demonstration by the British Road Federation or the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders or any of the really effective lobbies in this country or the, the, the big uh, build concrete all over the country lobby. They don't need to go on the streets and demonstrate because they have power. The people who go out on the street and demonstrate don't have any. And also, 300,000 may seem big, assuming that was the figure. But it's a tiny minority of every figure you care to name. It's a minority of the, of, of the adult population of London. It's a minority of the adult population of, 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 the, of the Muslim uh, adult population of the country. It doesn't mean half of what we thought. We shouldn't be so frightened of it. And how it took Suella Brotherman so long to grasp the police of this country, a left-wing organization, I don't know. I've been telling everybody myself for 20 years. It's not hard to tell just by looking at them that they're, <laughs> that they're not conservatives. So for her to, to, to get into a tizzy about that seems to me to be a bit absurd at this late stage. And they've been, they've been in government for 13 years. You would have thought they could have done something about the police by now in that time. But they never had any idea what was going on, or much cared, and now they're, they're saddled with the consequences yeah, of that. I have no right. sympathy with them at all, any no. of them, actually. No, I don't wish you, I wish you didn't have any sympathy, and I wish nobody else did have any sympathy for them either. Candice, you got any sympathy for the police at this point? No. There you go. I don't. I really don't. Um, I think that, you know, there was a really good article in the Mail Online this weekend from an anonymous police yes. officer who said very plainly, yes. They are. They they have certain subjects and certain areas that they are sensitive about mm. and that they do not want to be seen to be policing too heavily. So this approach that they have now with the marches, afterwards they'll go on social media and they'll pick out people who've been doing dodgy things and they'll arrest them. 
That's the strategy, and they're going to stick with that. They're comfortable with that. That's what they want. And that's exactly what they're going to continue to do. Peter, stay with us for a minute. I'm going to just ask you to hold for a second. We're going to take a little break. I'll come back with you uh, in a moment. He's filled the cabinet with lefty remainers, says Derek, about Rishi Sunak. If he thinks that will get right-wings and Brexiteers to return to the Tories, he's in for a right old shock. And Neil says sacking someone for telling the truth is a dangerous Precedent. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Coming up, uh, the Metropolitan Police issues a public plea to hunt down racist protesters from Saturday's pro-Palestine march, because that's what they do. Uh, we'll speak to someone who got caught, caught up in it as well. It's all coming next. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're going to talk once more to columnist Peter Hitchens in the Mail uh, on Sunday. Peter, we haven't even really mentioned the reaction from the likes of William Hague, who wrote in the Times uh, earlier on this afternoon uh, that David Cameron's decency is an asset to the ailing Tory party. We haven't mentioned the Greensill scandal that everyone seems to have forgotten about, uh, where he was sort of caught out lobbying ministers and trying to make a bit of money uh, for some of his friends in the uh, very wealthy part of the city. Um, and just to go back to, 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 the, to the David Cameron that, that we know and, and have seen in action, um, I just find it astonishing that the Tories have got to this point where this, if this is their last throw of the dice, it's pretty poor, isn't it? I don't think I've ever seen such an open declaration of defeat and purposelessness uh, that, than this. Uh, I was astonished as the morning progressed that there was no redeeming feature to it at all. Uh, I don't think they have any idea what to do or what they're doing. Uh, David Cameron does not appeal, I don't think, to anybody much in the country. Uh, he is remembered for all kinds of things. As you, as you rightly point out, the Greensville affair on which he was, I think, criticised quite strongly by the Parliamentary Select yeah. Committee will haunt him, uh, and Labour will make sure it haunts him through any election, and indeed all the time. Uh, that won't do him any good. The, the, the recollection of his, of his clear association with staying uh, in the European Union, in a government which is supposed to be committed to leaving it, uh, is always going to be a, a drag on everything it does. I don't see William Hague either as being a particular recommendation to any government. What's his uh, enormous record of success that, uh, that that he can draw on? It's just the what remains of the, the top establishment of, of the Tory party which existed before the referendum, before the, the Johnson revolution. I think Theresa May has also joined in with her recommendations. It's, if, if you're trying to compile a list of recommendations that you would not want, uh, we, 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 we are getting that now. Mm. Uh, and I, I don't think they have, I don't think they just they have not got a clue. And, and we will see this more and more. And so the government will spiral down the plug, plug hole, down the famous gurgler, uh, until the moment comes when it has to hold a general election. 
Uh, as I say, I think there is, on this occasion, because of this, this chaos and feebleness and lack of serious direction, a real danger uh, that the Conservative Party might finally start breaking up into its component yeah. parts. It may well uh, be. The Conservative getting out here is, is going to be on television quite soon, isn't it? Well, that, uh, there's a crowd, of, a cast of thousands for that, I would imagine, because they're all trying to jump ship so they can get jobs uh, if there's an election in May, by the looks of things. So Not think, just for that, though. I, there may even be some who think, I can't stand this any longer. Yeah. No, absolutely uh, right. Let me, let me just ask you one, one final question. Last time we spoke last week, Peter, you said that you thought, yes, of course, the, the pro-Palestine uh, uh, marches should go ahead. They should not be stopped. Um, has what happened no. this weekend changed your view on that? No, completely not. As I say, I think it was very educational for, for people to see just what nasty people, uh, really not terribly distinguishable from, from actual Nazis, turn up on these things. And if you're going to go along as an innocent-hearted person who simply wants to make a point about the, the bad treatment of, of, of Arabs by Israel or something of that kind, just bear in mind who you, who you will be marching with in future. There are a lot of these people about, I don't know how many, there's no measurement being made, but they are there. And it's quite plain, the organised demonstration can't control them or keep them away. And they say the most revolting things. And I think if we hadn't allowed the demonstration to go ahead, we wouldn't know this. Uh, they weren't empowered by being on the streets, but they were given the opportunity to shoot their horrible mouths off. And they told us, this is what we are. And this is what an awful lot of the opposition to Israel consists of. A straightforward, old-fashioned, racist, bigoted hatred of Jews of a kind which we all thought had, had come to an end or had been too ashamed to show its face after the death camps were opened in 1945, but it's still there. Okay, now they've shown themselves, now we know. No one can pretend anymore that they're not there. And that's one of the virtues of free speech. You know yes. what you're up against. But how much of that then becomes a problem if people are getting attacked, as we saw, some people were getting jostled, you know, Michael Gove was chased down the street, uh, we had people being shouted at in, in restaurants, in, in fast food joints, told uh, to take off poppies, told to take off, you know, other things that they were wearing. You know, at what point does it become an issue so that you say, well, hang on, you can't be doing that every single weekend in the centre of London? Well, you can't, and I think it's, it's interesting when you think, I think back to the Vietnam demonstrations I took part in, they, they, they certainly went every week, they were separated often by period, long periods of months, sometimes years, it, it, it's, uh, it, I, I really don't see how these people can continue uh, turning out week after week after week, they must get fatigued by it themselves, uh, but we can't stop them on the grounds that they've been out too much, I think let them get tired of it would again be my view, when people step out of line in the ways that you described, the police should intervene immediately, because if, if, if someone is, is intimidated, uh, as Michael Gove was, then the, then the law is being broken. And if people are calling uh, for the deaths of others or, or inciting violence anyway, the law is being broken and you can do something about it. Uh, but that's not the same as preventing people from speaking and preventing people from marching just because you don't like them. Uh, because there are many, many good reasons for not doing that. And one of them is to say, you learn from seeing them what they're really like. Yes, I think that's a very valuable lesson as well. Peter, great to talk to you as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Peter Hitchens there uh, with his take on what is going on and how much longer it will be expected to carry on because at the end of the day, surely we have to take a view and say, look, if all of these people are walking around, some of them are playing um, dangerous games with placards, pictures of people uh, with coconuts at their feet, Rishi Sunak and Suella Braverman, clearly racist stuff, uh, looking at, uh, at the Nazi propaganda, looking at swastikas uh, made from the Star of David, looking at people dressed as Hamas soldiers. Unbelievable stuff, just incredible. Um, and you just have to say, at some point or other, the police 
if they don't think it's going to get out of hand, they're going to have to do something to curb and control all of those people, aren't they? Uh, we want to hear from you on this show today, 0344 499 uh, Shuffling the deck chairs of the Titanic comes to mind, says Joe. Sunak is a weak, snivelling, slimy toad. And Marie says, he should not have sacked Suella Bravman. She understands what the people think about boat people and what it costs the country. Taxpayers are paying a fortune to those people to the detriment of UK citizens. And I think if that is the end result um, for Rishi Sunak, if he's now given up on his five pledges, at least on the one pledge to stop the boats because he wants to appease the centre ground of the party. I think he's barking up the wrong tree, it has to be said. Uh, you're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up, uh, the Metropolitan Police's impartiality is now in question after they were spotted posing with pro-Palestine protesters on Saturday. That's all coming up next, right here on Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Over the weekend, military veterans ascended to the capital in blazers and berets, well-shined shoes, crisply creased trousers as well to commemorate and remember old comrades. Despite services being marred by protests with 126 arrests being made according to the Metropolitan Police, the service itself was a success with almost 10,000 veterans and 800 armed forces personnel from all three services taking part in a march past and the two-minute silence was held across the UK. Joining me now to discuss the occasion and what went on there is Major General Chip Chapman and co-founder of the Together Declaration, Alan Miller, uh, who was at the Remembrance Parade uh, on Saturday. Very warm welcome to both of you. And Alan, let me start with you because I wanted to talk to you tonight because I watched with some incredulity, what happened to you on Saturday afternoon uh, after the um, uh, the parade itself when you ended up uh, in a pub in Vauxhall, um, which basically ended up with you being told, one, you couldn't leave the place, and two, if you did leave, you were going to have to be searched. Let's have a quick look at what happened to you. Sorry, officer. Did I hear you right saying that you're searching people that are coming out the park? I've been searched for myself. What for? What are people being searched for exactly? Sorry, sergeant. Do you know what people are being searched for? Yeah. On what ground? So we've got coming to the pub to go to the toilet to have a coffee, and now we're not only being locked in the pub, we're being told that we're going to be searched on the way out. By the way, look at actually what's still going on and lots of people are not being searched or stopped for lots of things. I mean, uh, you can see a very large crowd outside and that's just the police. There's an even bigger crowd behind them. But tell us how that all kind of played out, Alan, and how it happened like that. Well, the thing is, Mike, it was like <clears throat> something from a, a Kafkaesque uh, novel uh, from Kafka because uh, I'd been at the Cenotaph and been outside Winston Churchill's statue. It had been very dignified. I, I had left and then I thought I wanted to go and see what people were saying. I wanted to see the composition, what people were saying. I know some people who've been on some of the uh, Palestine demonstrations. I wanted to talk to some people, get a read and feel of what was really going on. Uh, and <clears throat> I'd begun to do that and I was walking along and I saw some, I saw some things that were very unpleasant, but I also met some people that were, you know, decent enough. And, uh, and I had been opposed to banning, uh, marches and demonstrations and speech. I'm still opposed to it. Uh, I agree with Peter actually that I think we need the light of reason and, and democracy and freedom to illuminate things. But and, and what I'm really concerned about is what then happened. This is the problem because like with Extinction Rebellion and other things, we've already had the laws that exist to stop illegal acts and behaviour, but there hasn't been a commitment and by the police 
to do that and on the authorities. And instead we've had more laws passed, the Police and Crime Sentencing Act, the Online Safety Bill, to have ever more regulations that then limit many of us, all of us, about what we can do and say and still the other things continue, right? Because if you don't have a backbone to actually eliminate those things and deal with them, then that's the problem. So I've gone into the pub to use the toilet, to go to the bathroom and, and to see I'll have a coffee. And then I was told I couldn't leave. No one gave me any explanation why. And then it was went on for about three and a half hours. I did a couple of videos with some people in there. What did they think? What were they doing there? It was also <clears throat> quite alarming because you could tell with all the police that accorded us off, they were filming us in there. And if you were actually in that demonstration, you might end up thinking that there were some people in here that were somehow a problem. Yeah. I think the thing is, uh, people were obviously very insulted, it demonised. There was only about 15 people in the pub, maybe 20. Yeah, it was quiet. A few locals. And you could see how this can really make people very indignant and feel like it's not without fear or favour policing, that it's unjustified and it's actually discriminating against people in the wrong way. I mean, what was the suspicion? I asked several times of the uh, the governor, the police officers that was made, the chief inspector and the others, what are the grounds, what's the basis, what's your concerns? Could you tell me please on what the criteria is for doing this? Because I was asking so many questions and filming it, they actually sent two very charming, nice female officers to me, whereas other people, they were actually arm twisting and taking them out. I said, I will not be happy about being treated like that. Right. I've come in here. But the big concern is that we've got this ability using both emergency laws and others to uh, do this. But then what my concern is that you haven't been targeting, they haven't been targeting clearly people that have been in all sorts of things like yeah. uh, attacking police with fireworks, calling for the death of people, a range of other things. Yeah. We've been told that it's all the far right, and I actually think as it happens, the press and the media, some of them are partly responsible for stoking some things up and presenting it all one way. Then we see Suella Braverman sacked for saying a thing that many in the British public agree with. Well, and also and more or less saying something that ended up being played out on the streets. Let me bring in Major General uh, Chip Chapman. Um, Major General, thanks for joining us. Um, I think what Alan says is right, isn't it? There is a, 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 a sort of um, a distance to go between the way the police acts with one group and another group. Well, I'm not sure that that's absolutely the case on Saturday. I mean, if we probably analyse the number of people who were arrested, you'd probably find that most of those who were arrested, they might not be charged, which is a different thing, were those who invaded the cenotaph on, you know, the sort of sovereign citizens who thought they were protecting the cenotaph prior to 11 o'clock. They didn't invade the cenotaph. The police tried to kettle them to try to stop them from getting there. And they, perhaps rightly or wrongly, thought it was their right to get there. They did get there. And when the two minute silence was on, um, they were silent. So, I mean, the well, police kind of created... In the, in the run up to that, they didn't really need to be there. We don't need to really argue that one. So they were counter protesters. That's the, um, that's the, well, well, the, well, the, well, the Palestinians don't need to be there either, do they? It's not a question of needing to be there. They, they won't, and that's why I absolutely thought the march should go ahead, not because I'm a part of the free speech wing and the free speech party, but if you do a military mission analysis on the thing, which generally we look at ground, time and space, they were going no, uh, no closer than um, one mile to the cenotaph, and they were separated by two hours. So the notion that the two things uh, collided on Armistice Day, which is essentially about a two-minute silence, 
not the national celebration which was going to take place on Remembrance Sunday. That's when the 10,000 people were going to be marching, uh, organised by the R RBL. So just in terms of those things, there was no absolute need to um, ban the march. Neither was there any intelligence that, that this march had enough gravity and scale for it to be a large demonstration which would kick off into tens of thousands of people being arrested. And I think you quoted Mike the figure earlier on of the 128 being arrested at the weekend. That is not something when you have 300,000 people there, which meets the remit under Section 13 of the Public Order Act 1988 to be prohibited. No. No, I get that. But I mean, the question I would have is that an awful lot of people that I've been in touch with since the weekend, service people particularly, have said that it, the whole weekend was kind of ruined because of the fact that all of this extra noise was going on, partly because of the fact that the march did not cancel itself, which everyone had asked them to do and people would have preferred it if they had done. And my question, I suppose, to you, before I go back to Alan, is, is you know, how much more of this are we supposed to put up with? You know, how many more times uh, every single weekend are we going to be in, uh, unable to go into central London? for fear of the fact that you might either get cracked around the head by, by some group or other who are not doing what they're supposed to do, uh, or you're going to be in a, a, um, a local fast food restaurant and people are going to come in and start haranguing you and telling you you shouldn't be buying your stuff there. You know, kind of things that are um, impossible to perhaps arrest people for at the time, but which make it very unpleasant for ordinary Londoners and ordinary tourists to go about their business. Yeah, well, the first point is that what's unusual at the moment is most of the campaigns in the Middle East that the Israelis are involved in uh, only um, go on for a short period of time. Uh, the most recent in 2014-2021 uh, lasted 18 days and flare-ups in terms of both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are generally, you know, went in parallel with those things. Now, the war is going on and these flare-ups will continue. I think that will play into the continuance of marches on both sides. So, for example, today we learned because under section, section 11 of the Public Order Act, you have to actually give advance notice. So we know, for example, that today there is going to be a march on Sunday the 26th against anti-Semitism. Now, most of us would say that is a good thing in the same way that is a good thing that most people should be exposing extremism. So these marches will go on. They will only be prohibited, as I sort of suggested, if it meets a scale where we think there's going to be a massive disorder because it's the role of the Met to facilitate peaceful protest and prevent serious disorder, disruption and damage. That is what their role is, operationally independent. And if they don't think that's going to happen because the intelligence suggests otherwise, then they can go to the Home Secretary to apply for it to be prohibited. Okay. Um, Alan, let me come back to you. Um, so how did it all end in your case? Did you get out eventually? Did you have to be searched? Did you have to submit to it? Yeah, well, I, whether I had to or not, some people were saying you could refuse it. I think that would have arisen in a, a, an arrest. I didn't fancy being arrested. I had nothing actually to hide. I, I very much uh, was, uh, I disagreed with it. I made it clear to everyone. And obviously it's been posted, it's been shared everywhere. I want to say just a couple of things. I think that much of this discussion, and I think, you know, the previous comments are right, that they were in two different places at two different times. But over the last few weeks, some people believe and have seen uh, an in unwillingness on behalf of the Met Police, and they say it might be to do with resources and other things, to intervene around certain things. There is a concern that some people will be called racist if they do certain things, right? We've seen that happen again. In, the, in a way, it's very different than if you post something on 
uh, social media about trans, for instance. You see six police officers turning up at your house. Now, we're seeing uh, some of these things. We're also seeing some of the media stoke these things up. It's almost like you get a whole layup with what's happened with Suela Braverman as well. I think there are some real concerns. Now, I'm not opposed to uh, protests or, or speech. I think they're really important. I think you should, because what ends up happening is you get more of what happened to me and other people if you increase stifling limits, and we've had a lot more of those restrictions. But you have to have the willingness, leadership, and the ability to execute around things that are tough and tricky. And obviously the police have been put in a difficult position. The Hendon Training School and their uh, messaging from Steve Khan and others has often been presenting things in a certain way and ideologically. They should be policing without fear or favour. I agree that there's a, a limit. It's not that everyone goes on the protest and they're all of the same thing, but we have seen a distinct change, I think, this weekend, yeah. where people dressed a certain way. You know, if you imagine our terrorist attacks where brave citizens intervened at London Bridge a few years ago, the idea that would be associated in any way with a liberation movement yeah. or sovereignty, it wasn't. Absolutely. People said, well, no, it's not, it's you're not. Nihilist. You're absolutely right. You're no, listen, I've got, got to stop you there, sorry, but I'm, I'm just out of time. But you're absolutely right. We can't have people impersonating terrorists walking around Hyde Park, wherever it is, um, without fear or favour. It just can't be done. But thank you, thank you to both of you, uh, Major General Chip Chapman, uh, Alan Miller from the Together Declaration as well. Um, this is going to be something we're going to be talking about for a long time because it seems to me that the police have no appetite yet still to stop these marches. And I'm not sure uh, that I buy the idea that they'll just kind of peter out. Doesn't look like it to me. You're watching the Independent Republic uh, of Mike Graham. Coming up, we want to hear your thoughts tonight on the debacle of Downing Street and as Suella Braverman is dismissed as Home Secretary for a second time by back-to-back -back Prime Ministers. Deck the halls, kitchen and lounge with a big Dulux Decorator Centre 20% off event. Got a long list of projects for the festive season. We've got 20% off your favourite trade paint brands like Dulux Trade, Dulux Heritage and more at your nearest store or online. Choose to pay now or on your credit account. The big Dulux Decorator Centre 20% off event on until Sunday. Dulux Decorator Centre, centred on you. Discount is off shelf prices, exclusions apply. Offer available in store and online from the 13th to 19th of November, 19th of November online only. Christmas jumpers, novelty socks, they're a way off yet, right? Wrong. This year, Christmas starts early with McDonald's festive wins. Every day in November, you can win amazing Mackey's merch, incredible prizes, or unlock a range of tasty food offers too. So if all you want for Christmas is a 99p Big Mac, play festive wins now. Only on the McDonald's app. 18 plus until the 30th of November. When it's your day, UK only, T's and C's apply. What could you do in 60 seconds? You could wash up 2.5 dishes. You could delete 17 blurry pics from your phone. Or you could use Capital One's Quick Check to see if you'll be accepted for a credit card without affecting your credit score. Nice. Search Capital One Quick Check. Capital One, that's one good thing. At Kia, we have an electric car perfect for you and your lifestyle. From fully electric SUVs built for adventure to family favorites full of smart technology or the ideal blend of style and versatility for the city. Choose your perfect car from our electric range, including our new seven-seater SUV, the Kia EV9, the award-winning crossover EV6, and car buyer car of the year, the Nero EV. Take the lead. Drive electric. Search Drive Electric with Kia today. Kia. Movement that inspires. 
your way from driveway to motorway. Talk radio, travel update. In Gumbria Bay 65, north from Gatebeck Lane at South Lakeland to Cross Creek, that is blocked by a fallen tree. M1 in Yorkshire, northbound 31 Sheffield. The inside lane is closed for recovery work following a vehicle fire. And in Shropshire between Nescliffe and Montford Bridge, the A5 Holyhead Road is closed due to a crash earlier on. In Essex, the A12 between A Ash Green and Mark's Tay, it's still that controversial for servicing work. And at the Humber Bridge, it's close to high sided vehicles due to strong winds. I'm Stuart Wall. Forget what you know about hearing aids. With smartphone connection, background noise reduction technology, and a lifetime of aftercare from our expert audiologists. And now, for a limited time, get up to £600 off our latest tech. Book your free hearing check at BootsHearingCare.com. With you for the future of hearing. With you for life. See BootsHearingCare.com for details. Talk Radio. Spreading your opinions. Outway and outlast all other arguments. Let's broaden our minds. Talk Radio. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk TV. Now, it's time for Taking the Mic. Now, when I woke this morning, I thought, Rishi Sunak's got this wrong. The sacking of Suella Braverman was not only ill-timed, it was ill-considered. It was not only a capitulation to the hate marches that have been plaguing the streets of London for the last five weekends, but it was a signal to all those voters who still believe that the Prime Minister cared about their concerns for the future of Britain. But then it went from bad to worse, as the impending reshuffle resulted in appointing a man who almost solely was responsible for the Blairisation of the Conservative Party, the man who started hugging the hoodies and saving the planet. David Cameron invented the rot that set in to the right wing of the Tory party, and his Foreign Secretary credentials start and end with Libya, a country which has been at the very centre of our illegal migrant problems and is still virtually a rogue state, thanks to his intervention as Prime Minister. If this is Rishi Sunak's agenda for change, he might as well get the DeLorean on order because he's going back to the future and it will be his own picture that starts fading as he and David Cameron start rewriting history. And if this is his latest attempt to regain the middle ground of Middle England, it ain't going to work. Sorella Braverman said the things that ordinary voters agreed with and she said them in a way that they understood. She was right about what happened on Armistice weekend. We saw it with our own eyes. To blame her for what happened is as ludicrous as it is pathetic. And if you believe the Sunak PR machine, everything will now be all right without the former Home Secretary. All he's done is to give the pro-Palestine marchers the signal that they can carry on occupying central London every weekend, chanting hate, committing crime and fighting with the police. While ordinary citizens can't go about their normal lives, he's given the police permission to continue with their policy of two-tier policing allowing for the mobs to roam the streets with impunity and damn the consequences. The Labour Party will be rubbing their hands tonight, as will Reform UK. Proper Conservatives have been abandoned today, and all for the love of the Remainers. Just watch this space. Now, lots of you have been getting in touch, and so it's time uh, to go right to the phones. Let's talk to Sean, uh, who's in London, wants to talk about David Cameron. Sean, very good evening to you. Good evening, Mike, yes. and I uh, hope you're well. I am, thank you. What do you want to say? Yes, so I thought this was a blind of a decision. It's a sixer out of the park, like a, in a cricket match, uh -huh. Mike. Well, you mean like it's good? I thought, I thought it was perfect timing. Uh -huh. I really did, because 
when is the best time? It's it's to make make the time and, and make make the move. And just after Remembrance Day, he's made the move, and I thought it was perfect timing. What's the best thing about appointing David Cameron to being Foreign Secretary? I think he's got the experience, and being an ex Prime Minister, he's he's got the skills, the social skills, and he's the gravitas, and he knows how to speak internationally and domestically, mm. as, because he, he was the Prime Minister of our country. Okay. Well, I mean, that's one view. It's certainly not my view, but I thank you for giving it to us. And let's hear from John in Newcastle. He wants to talk about Armistice Day weekend. John. Uh, hello, uh, yeah. Mike. Uh, thank you for allowing me to speak on this, our fantasy island. Yes. In your last uh, caller there, I thought that was fantasy too. <laughs> However, may I say that a couple of weeks ago, I was going through the city centre yeah. and there was a big march took place. Uh, quite a sizable march at that. And uh, these people, you know, uh, there was a lot of Muslim people there because it was obviously uh, for the march uh, uh, in Palestine. Yes. And there was a lot of others too. And what struck me is to ring you was that yesterday I was at the uh, Sunday Remembrance Service. Yeah. And I hardly, uh, and we call the situation integration. We yeah. are integrated with all the other uh, religions, etc., mm. etc. Et yeah. Well, I hardly saw any Muslim people there at all. And I wouldn't have known if there was Jews or Hindus or Buddhists. But the reality was that struck us because mm. two weeks beforehand I saw these were into the thousands mm. and I've never seen as many Palestine flags in all my life. Yeah. I've never I seen didn't know, I didn't church. know there were so many Palestinian flags in the country to be honest. I, there I, seems I, to be I, an I, awful I, lot I, of them. Listen, I've got to run. Thank you so much for your call though. Um, because uh, we are out of time for the first hour. Don't worry though, uh, there's another hour to go. We've still got plenty of time. We'll take more calls as well. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up after the break, as David Cameron makes a sensational return to Downey Street, we'll speak to one of the people who knew him best, the author of his unauthorised biography, Talk TV's very own Isabel Oakshock. And welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on the radio, we're online, and of course, we're on your smart speaker as well. Coming up, Cameron's comeback, a shock return for ex-Prime Minister David Cameron as Rishi Sunak takes the biggest gamble of his political career, making his predecessor Foreign Secretary. Plus, Suella Braverman's marching orders, today's dramatic reshuffle started with the sacking of the Home Secretary after she was accused of stoking tensions while criticising the police. And seven more men are charged over disorder on Armistice Day uh, after protesters clashed with police. And more than 300,000 people attended that pro-Palestinian march. Coming up, uh, we've got lots more to do. Uh, we're going to be speaking to more of you. We're going to be speaking to Isabel Oakshot as well. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We've got loads coming up uh, in the next hour. We're going to be looking at the morning papers, of course, as well. But don't forget, uh, you can get in touch with the show and all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones. 0344 499 calls cost the national rate. Later on, uh, we will be reading your first look at tomorrow's front pages. Before anyone else, though, we've got a look at page 10 of the Sun newspaper, a piece by Harry Cole, political editor, uh, who says, Read Dave back is dramatic but dangerous. Um, he says that uh, this appointment will actually free up the Prime Minister, who has spent the past month distracted by the Middle East. But he calls, of course, Call Me Dave, as he became known, Lord Dave, because he is now a Lord. A Lazarus-like return of former Prime Minister David Cameron. So we shall see 
but at least some MPs are saying uh, it's not a very good idea uh, and it's not a good idea not to have anybody on the right wing uh, if you've got a football team. But let's talk about it. David Cameron's return as Foreign Secretary marks an extraordinary comeback for a politician widely believed to be, at the very least, yesterday's man. After calling for and losing the Brexit referendum in 2016, he fell on his sword to quit both as a Prime Minister and as an MP, famously humming his way back into Downing Street. So let's take a look a down memory lane at some of the lighter moments of when Cameron was actually in politics. Just when you thought it was all over and the sun had set on David Cameron's Downing Street dreams. I was the future once. He's back. In the mother of all political comebacks as Britain's latest foreign secretary. He's David and he's just the man for the job. He's always been a great champion of British sport. I mean, so what if you can't remember if he supports Aston Villa sometimes? Of course, I'd rather you supported West Ham. Oh, um. <laughs> <coughs> He's always been great at mastering the local lingo. What'll it be, lads? Humble pie? <laughs> Never offending the locals. Not a bit, David. This is good news for Sheila's everywhere. And a huge hit at dinner parties. But when you see us standing next to each other, it is quite clear that the person who needs to be exercised is the British Prime Minister. He always knows his audience. Well, I don't know why he's talking to a tree. You'll know how to discipline the international baddies. Put on a proper suit, do up your tie. And who cares if he forgets to pick up his kids after a session at the pub? What's that going to do with the job anyway? And for those of you who saw um, the David Cameron clip from actually today, a little bit earlier on uh, in the show, I was quite struck by the fact that he hasn't aged at all. I mean, I don't know if he's uh, got Botox injections going on, but he certainly looks very, very um, sort of um, similar to the way he looked when he was Prime Minister, when he walked off uh, all those years ago. Um, Mr Hitchens is bang on the money, says Dirk. As usual, Sunak, Hunt and Cameron, three woke left-wing losers who have been scorned by real Conservatives. None of us voted for any of them, yet they've been imposed upon us. This situation is untenable. Is it so... Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Union, we're now in. Let's cross over uh, for some more reactions to co author of David Cameron's biography, Call Me Dave, Talk TV's very own international editor, of course, Isabel. Oakshot, Isabel, very good evening to you. Welcome to the nighttime version of the Independent Republic. Hello. Um, I'm still in shock, honestly. <laughs> I literally thought it was a joke when I saw that David Cameron yeah. was coming back when I heard this. And I'm, I'm still semi-speechless at the whole thing. Um, why is it such a shock? Well, I just don't quite see the politics of it, how it works for... Uh, for anybody, really. I mean, David Cameron's record on foreign policy is pretty checkered, yeah. to say the least. It's hard to point to anything uh, during his premiership that went well on the foreign policy front. Um, it's certainly not going to appeal to the huge swathe of the party and the party's supporters that were quite happy with what Suella Braverman was saying. And... I don't actually think in any case he was probably uh, Rishi Sunak's first job for this role. Uh, my suspicion, I, uh, by no means is this confirmed, is that what actually went on here is that, Dave, that uh, Rishi Sunak was talking to his mentor, William Hague, the former foreign secretary, yeah. 
and uh, had hoped to persuade Haig to do the job. Haig's probably making rather a, a good living uh, out of frontline politics and uh, probably rather too busy to go back to being foreign secretary, um, but perhaps recommended his old mucker Dave, uh, who's a bit down on his luck lately and doesn't have a lot to do. Yes, well I wonder if you're right because um, William Hague actually wrote a piece late this afternoon for the Times in which he basically said that, um, you know, uh, it's Cameron's decency which will be an asset to ailing Tories. And he may well be decent, but as you say, his foreign policy experience and his foreign policy kind of baggage is hardly something that would impress people in the Middle East after what he did in Libya. And, and for, for those people who voted um, to leave the European Union, they won't at all be encouraged by having a guy who was a sort of arch-remainer now going to talk to the EU. And I think it is a, a really worrying development that Cameron is likely to bring back a whole load of people that think like he does. Uh, and, you know, for the 17.4 million people who voted for Brexit and are pretty frustrated that it hasn't been properly delivered, the spectacle of David Cameron returning, poncing around on the world stage is hardly going to be a great reassurance that the dream that they voted for is anywhere near anywhere nearer being realized um and you know all the people that were cheering david cameron's return are the kind of pro-remain establishment types uh, that we saw the back of after the referendum vote or at least we thought we'd seen the back of um, and I, I just don't think that this puts the party in a better position in any shape or form wow. Uh, to lose the next election less badly. No, exactly right. I mean, this, this talk of kind of, you know, um, going back to the centre ground. I was listening to uh, Tobias Elwood speaking earlier on tonight. And I mean, you've always got to be slightly worried if Tobias Elwood's in favour of something. And he was saying uh, that this is going to be great news for those people who believe you can only win elections by winning the centre ground. Well, not if you lose all the people that you brought in with you on 2019's vote. Yeah, I just don't follow that logic. I mean, I, I have some respect for Tobias. I think he's a, a great guy and he's got a lot of defence experience, but he has never got over the Brexit vote. He is somebody who believes that we should go back into the single market. So, of course, he's cheering mm. the return of David Cameron. Um, I, I must say that it has gone down appallingly within the parliamentary party. There's a lot of very unhappy MPs tonight who are saying, I don't see how this makes life any easier for me in my constituency, on my on the doorstep where I'm out there trying to bang the drum for what we're doing, there's not much of a positive story to tell at the best of times right now. And now we've got David Cameron back. How does that help me try to hold on to my seat? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, we've already seen Andrew Jenkins putting in a letter to the 1922 committee. I suspect there won't be perhaps many who are, feel strongly enough to do that. But, I mean, do you see, honestly, possibly, uh, a split going on in the Tory party? I mean, Suella Braverman has said today that she'll have more to say later. I don't imagine she's not going to stop. Uh, I don't imagine she's going to stop uh, what she says. She's, she'll still be critical, I imagine, even more critical, maybe, uh, of the government from the back benches. And she's not going away, is she? I think she'll become um, a, no a noisy nuisance, and there's a good part of me that hopes that she does. And I think a lot of... Um, right-leaning voters will still want to hear from Suella Braverman, particularly if those uh, they're, they're not being represented by anyone in Cabinet, which is kind of how it feels right now. I mean, there's always been a split in the Tory party, uh, and 
in a sense, it doesn't actually go anywhere. You know, it's not like the party dies and it's not like anyone in the Tory party um, of late anyway ever considers defecting. Mm. You know, the whole Change UK thing that followed the um, all the turmoil over Brexit was a bit of a one-off uh, when a number of Tory MPs sort of defected to form a new and very unsuccessful party and has probably served to put more MPs off doing anything like that. So whether the split in the party is meaningful in any way, I don't know. But the idea that this, these appointments today somehow unify the parliamentary party, I think is for the birds. Yeah, I think that's right too. And what about his sort of scandals since leaving office? Because, you know, he's been uh, in and out of the papers for some pretty bad reasons, I would say. Uh, he's supposed to have got some links with China recently. Um, you know, he had the lobbying of the uh, of the Tory MPs and the Tory government, the Tory cabinet. Uh, he's got all that to, to be dug up, no doubt, which will be dug up, I'm sure, by some of the papers in the next few days. I mean, he's hardly this kind of, you know, godsend uh, as some kind of political guru. And certainly people will be wondering how is it that a Prime Minister can just suddenly at the click of a finger appoint someone to the House of Lords. Yeah. You know, there is normally a process that takes place. Now, I'm not really suggesting that David Cameron isn't qualified to be in the House of Lords. It would be entirely normal for a former Prime Minister to be offered that opportunity. But it does feel all very, very sudden, mm. doesn't it? And yeah. I think there are real question marks over accountability. You know, the Foreign Office is one of the great offices of state. There could hardly be a more sensitive time time uh, in geopolitics for him to be taking up that role and yet MPs are not going to be able to hold him to account in the normal way because he's only going to be appearing in the House of Lords. Mm. Um, his answer to that and the government's answer to that is well he can appear before select committees and there'll be other mechanisms and so on but it is incredibly irregular if I can put it that way. Yeah. Highly highly unusual and as far as many ambitious Tories are concerned within the parliamentary party, they feel, well, how come we couldn't just have appointed someone from within our own ranks? Why do we have to parachute in a prime minister that left after a disastrous misjudgment yeah. over Brexit and a number of other disastrous foreign, foreign policy misjudgments? I mean, it seems to me that this was an idea that somebody had. They got him to agree to do it and said, look, we'll have a reshuffle at some point down the line and we'll bring you in. And then suddenly it all got accelerated over the course of the weekend because Sir Braverman was literally sort of poking a stick at Rishi Sunak and just going and have some of this and have some of that. And now I'm not going to stop talking. And even after the Sunday events that she still was going on uh, about how she had predicted it. So, I mean, I wonder if it was just simply accelerated and suddenly we've got David Cameron a couple of months earlier than we thought. Well, I think that's possible, though I suspect you're giving them rather more credit for kind of forward planning <laughs> and, uh, you know, Maybe. actually having having an idea of where they might take this programme of government. Yeah. Um, I suspect it was rather much more haphazard than that, not least because things like that would most likely leak. Um, mm. You know, the idea that Cameron comes would come back is so sensational um, that I don't, I'm not sure that if it had been on the cards for a while, um, it wouldn't have somehow seeped out. I'm also surprised, I must admit, that I am surprised that Rishi Sunak did sack Suella Braverman because he knows, he must know, 
that she speaks for a huge number of Tory exactly. voters yeah. or, or erstwhile Tory voters mm. and that sacking her is essentially sticking two fingers up to all of those who share her deep and passionate concerns about the ugly, horrible scenes we've seen on the streets of London in particular yeah. but across cities across the UK. So many people who want to vote Conservative or who have historically voted Conservative absolutely agree with Suella Braverman's sentiments, if not necessarily every time the way she's expressed them. They 100% agree with where she's coming from on yeah. this. So in sacking her, in humiliating her in this way, uh, they will feel that in a sense their own opinions on this have been dismissed and invalidated. And that's a pretty dangerous mm. political place to be. And the surprise there is that he didn't carry on using her to express those opinions, play the card that appeals to that side of the party whilst distancing himself from it. I thought he could have sustained that for a little bit longer. Yeah, I think so. Quite a shocking day, though, even for some of the things that you and I have seen. Isabel, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Isabel Oakshaw, uh, talk to you, his international editor, also, of course, uh, author of Call Me Dave. Uh, now, there's lots more conversion, uh, conversation, I should say, coming up uh, with our panel a little bit later on today. Uh, but lots of you have been getting in touch as well. Let's hear uh, from a caller. Dave uh, is in London. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. Sorry about the name. I might get it changed. <laughs> you might have to. Yes, Lord Dave now, isn't it? I know, um, and so good to hear from Isabel. She's so spot on. She's so on the ball all the time. And two things she said. She said she was shocked by this, as am I, and she mentioned lifelong Tory voters. Yeah. About six months ago, I decided um, I'm not voting Tory ever, ever again because of the economic record yeah. now. But a small part of me, having voted for them since 1979, a small part of me thought maybe they could turn it round, there really probably isn't time, we really don't want Labour. But after today, I mean, I am also still in shock. A, on the Suella sacking, yeah. I never thought he would do that. Mm. And B, to top it off with the return of the Remainer, yeah. um, I am now at the point where I am going to actively try and campaign against the Conservatives. So I've gone from a lifelong Tory voter yeah. to rather sceptical to I'm now going to actively campaign. I'm going to contact the Reform Party or yeah. anyone else now. We need to get this sorted out because we have only got five to ten years. In five to ten years' time, what you've seen on the streets of London now, can you imagine this happening in five or ten yeah. years' time yeah. with Labour in power? It's going to be not a, not 300,000 people. It's going to be 2 million people yeah. on the streets. And it, the, the country's gone. And, yeah. and, and people say, oh, that's all far-right talk. No, it isn't. It's just about conservative values yeah. and, and, and this country. And, and I, I honestly, I'm in complete and utter shock yeah. and despair. This, yeah. I cannot believe what this CMAC guy has done. I mean, what... I mean, incredible. A guy who wasn't elected to be the leader is suddenly destroying it from the inside. It's almost as though he's working for Keir Starmer. Uh, Dave, thank you very much indeed. Now let's hear from Robert, uh, who's in Aston, wants to talk about the Palestinian protests. Robert, very good evening to you. Hi, Mike. Yeah, thank you for um, having me on. And I'll miss you in the morning, mate. No worries. I'm here for you. I'm here at night, holding your hand. I know. I know. I found you, man. I found you. Well, anyway, Mike, um, what I wanted to say was, um, you know, these protesters in, in London. Yeah. Um, do you not think the government have made a rod for their own back yeah. by not stop, 
by not stopping the illegal immigration that's coming to the country. Well, of course. Because we do not know who these people are and what they stand for, yeah. and yet they could be on the streets of London demonstrating... Oh, I mean, who knows? The, the, two guys, the two guys who were pictured wearing Hamas headgear, you know, might actually be from uh, Palestine, from might Hamas? actually be from Hamas in, on the streets what? of London. We don't know. And, and what we've done is we've put these illegal immigrants into parts of the country where they could infiltrate us overnight, and yeah. we do not know who they are. And I'm not being, you know, I know... Well, listen, I, 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 I make no bones about it. Ten years ago, this would not be happening. And now it's yeah. happening, and there's a bloody good reason why it's happening. But listen, thank and you very much indeed uh, for your call. Let's hear now from Terry, who's uh, in South Wales. He wants to talk about the Palestinian protests as well. Terry, very good evening Hello. to you. Uh, uh, good evening, Mike. Yes. Uh, I can fully agree with Jay from London just now. He was 100% right what he's saying. Yeah. But um, I got something I wanted to mention. Perhaps a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. But uh, the former, I think, uh, one of the main best leaders we've had in this country was Winston Churchill. Mm. And during the war, um, he set up a secret resistance um, uh, army to operate in this country in case we did get invaded. Right. Okay? Now, the instructions he gave to these people dotted around the country, a lot of them were farmers and poachers and things like that. They had secret hideouts dotted around the country. And some of the orders that they were given, that if we were invaded by Germany at the time, they were instructed to get rid of the local police chiefs in the various towns and villages mm. because they would have been the first collaborators with the Germans. Right. Now, from what I've seen on the news this last weekend, it's definitely starting to look that way already because who's to know in 20 years' time what's going to happen in this country with all the Muslims coming in here? Yeah. I mean, multiplying like rabbits, as you know. And they're going to take the country over. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think there's certainly going to have to be something which is a, a change in policy from this government. They said they were going to stop the boats. They said they were going to control immigration. They've done neither. Uh, and now we have a problem with people in this country being very, very concerned for their own welfare. And that can't yeah. be right. It cannot be right. Uh, we'll come back uh, to more of your calls very shortly, of course. Right here, you're watching the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Coming up, uh, what does Rishi's reshuffle mean for the Labour Party's chances at the next election? And helicopters, riding boots and vacuum cleaners. How French Border Force blew 40 million quid of UK money on their own border security. Dad had a beautiful death, and they're like, yeah. what What does that mean? That he was comfortable, he was pain-free, Yeah. he felt safe. Mm -hmm. To have that, yeah. to know that's the ending that you're going to have is precious. Yeah. And that only comes with Marie Curie. Give better end-of-life care to all, whatever the illness, by including a gift in your will to Marie Curie. Get your free will guide today. Search Marie Curie Will Talk. Talks for bet. If you want to flatter, punters know it's the only place to go. Cause you get the form and the latest odds across your sync devices. Plus weekly bet boost prices. Win big jackpots from the classic gaming slots. Talks for bet. The broadcast bonus bookie. Keeping you on track with all the sporting stats. Steeple chases, even title races, looking after sports fans. You know, cause talk sport bets is the app that does all that. It's the only place to go. Plus,
This is it. Level 23. Level 24. 25. Final. 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 Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, my God. Help, guys. I need power. Turbocharge your gaming and reduce lag with EE Game Mode. your broadband even when everyone's online search ee game ee game mode requires ee smart hub plus wrapping presents fast so no one gets too big laughing it us for guests to have a seat race for the best spot to watch the tv chuck the pillows on the floor as i make too sexy christmas chaos celebrate the chaos this christmas at ikea with everything you need to be a great host, from tables and seating to gifts, decorations and Swedish treats. IKEA, the wonderful everyday. Say hello to Chase, the digital bank that makes every day rewarding. Ooh, hang on, what does that mean? Well, it's quick and easy to open a Chase account so you can start earning rewards when you spend and interest when you don't. Mm, okay, now you've got my attention, but what if I need to speak to customer service? With a few taps on the app, you can access our customer service team 24-7. Will I have to speak to one of those robots? Nope. Only living, breathing human people. Great. Where do I sign up? You can download the Chase app now. Chase, awarded Best British Bank by our customers. 18 plus UK residents. Christmas jumpers. Novelty socks. They're a way off yet, right? Wrong. This year, Christmas starts early with McDonald's festive wins. Every day in November, you can win amazing Mackey's merch. Incredible prizes. Or unlock a range of tasty food offers too. So if all you want for Christmas is a 99p Big Mac, Play Festive Wins now, only on the McDonald's app. 18 plus until the 30th of November. One entry per day. UK only. T's and C's apply. Deadly accurate debate. Rev it up and run it out. Talk Radio, the home of common sense. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. I'm now delighted uh, to say that I'm joined by Baroness Claire Fox for the first time uh, on the nighttime show here uh, in primetime Independent Republic territory. Uh, Claire, very good evening to you. How are you doing? Good I'm very well, thank you, Mike. Good are to be with you. Are you, like everybody else, slightly in shock about all of this? Um, the return of my Lord Dave, as we now have to call him. I mean, he's going to be one of my peers, Mike, you know, sitting opposite me. How yeah. excited am I? Well, I mean, maybe um, you can maybe you can quiz him on his foreign policy because nobody else can. Well, exactly. I mean, it is atrocious that the only way he can be House for Camp is in the House of Lords. So, you know, that's completely anti-democratic. Before we get before we start, but listen. I think that both the sacking of Suella Braverman and particularly the return of um, David Cameron really is a double slap across the face for the Red Wall. For me, it's that confirmation. And we might have been able to suspect it when we saw Jeremy Hunt put in as uh, Chancellor, that this is a real attempt by the government to completely put a stop to that political realignment of 2019 and the hopes and aspirations of people that maybe the Conservative Party was the vehicle that could be used to shake up rich politics. But they, you know, what are they doing? I mean, they're not going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle just by... Putting in David Cameron, they might keep the blue wall a bit happy, possibly, but they're they're basically betraying the aspirations mm. of what happened in 2016 very badly today. They really are, and people always said, didn't they, that the Ramonas will never stop; they will eventually get control of the machine again. I mean, is this that moment? Do you think? 
Well, I think that it really is a return of the technocrats, isn't it? I mean, what do these people stand for? What do they believe in? It, you know, this is kind of the worst. Uh, somebody described it on, on social media as, you know, a vanilla government, and that's exactly what it is. You don't know what they stand for. So Ella Brodman might not be to everyone's taste, but at least she had a bit of passion about her. We're in the middle of very dark times. You've been discussing it brilliantly, interestingly, with people like Peter Hitchens and so on. And what you feel that you want are people who really have a handle on the situation, are going to stand firm, are going to be brave and courageous and take on some of the difficult issues around, for example, the rise of, you know, actual proper anti-Semitism um, in the most vile form that we could imagine, etc., mm. etc. Et All of this is going on. And, and by the way, I would like to correct some of your, your, your uh, people who phoned in, because when I say if only, this is not just a problem of, of radical uh, um, Islam, you know, Islamists. It's also combined with that worst toxic mix of identity politics, which, for example, has, you know, Jews at the top of some white privilege pyramid, yeah. treats Palestinians as though they're a universal victim. All of that decolonization stuff is this, you know, that Israel is described as a colonizer state. It's that mix which has given a green light to allow anti-Semitism onto the streets and everybody just looks yeah. the other way. I mean, it's really frightening times. What do they do? They bring in a failed prime minister. He failed to get a deal with the EU. Remember, he went over begging them all to give us a better deal. Right. He then came back rather pompously, called the uh, referendum. They were so sure they were going to win. And he lost. Yeah. And then what did he do? He ran away. You know, he, he called the referendum. He lost the referendum, but he could have stayed as prime minister. But he basically threw his uh, toys out the pram and walked away. And now we're meant to greet him as a hero. You're yeah. kidding me. I know. And I was interesting what you said there about the identity politics, because I was reading a piece of the weekend by Andrew Sullivan. Uh, in the States, he was talking about how words have now been sort of taken uh, out of context and used against everybody. Genocide is now a word which is used, thrown around constantly um, against Israel. Israel is committing genocide um, against the Palestinian population. As some people pointed out, the one thing that the Palestinian population has done over the past 20 to 30 years is grown exponentially. So there's actually a lot more of them uh, than there used to be, and the number of Jewish people in Israel is about the same. So, you know, there's all sorts of, of ridiculousness going on. But let me ask you about free speech, Claire, because I know it's one of your um, top subjects. In terms of what we yeah. do about these marches, what do we do? Because I can't see them stopping at this point. Why would they? We know some of the people who are behind organising them uh, are very, very anti-Israeli. Um, how do we stop these marches from being what they currently are, which is pretty much an affront um, to decent people? Well, I think that we've got to acknowledge that if you can't see something, it doesn't mean it's there. So I remember when the NUS and student unions banned his career from being on campus, right? That was after 7-7. Seven, seven. Yeah. So they didn't organise as his career. And you might think, oh, that means there's no his career on campus. But pushing people underground doesn't make the idea go away. You know, you can't make an illegal, an idea illegal like that. Mm. So the danger is, is that we push things away from the public sphere so that they fester. And what we're all shocked about is just how bad this anti-Semitism is. Although actually I've been, um, and you know, some of us have been banging on about the problem of anti-Semitism, particularly on the left for some time. Not just in the kind of Corbynist sense, but just in this way that Israel has been treated as an exceptional state. But anyway, the point is, once you have censorship, 
all that you do is that you remove from your own sight, it might make you feel better, the problem you've got. So I thought that uh, Peter Hitchens explained well that we need to hear these people, mm. we need to see them, yeah. we need to be able to actually see them so that they can be identified for the genuine hate mongers that they are. And then we've got to win the hearts and minds of the, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands, millions of young people who are kind of rather gormlessly going along with it because they sort of say, well, I like peace or whatever, right? Mm. They don't, they're very unfamiliar with the nuance or the detail of the history of the Middle East, let alone anti-Semitism. And the problems that we confront in this or that we need more speech to do that, not less. I do not want to give the state the right to decide that certain words and speech is hate and they should be banned. Because guess what? Guess who they'll be shutting up? People yeah. like us. I know. And I, I, I also wanted to say, you know, um, sorry, I just to interrupt just on the reshuffle, by the way. I did rather like, it does relate, I did rather like the fact that rather half-heartedly at the end of the day, they made Esther McVeigh MP, who I'm rather fond of, um, the Minister for Common Sense. Yeah. I was thinking, oh dear. Yeah, but I'm right. They, they, didn't, they didn't consult me. Ideas. They didn't consult me before they stole that one, so I I'm going to have words, I'm afraid. But, but, the, but the reason I'm, I'm using that as an example is because <laughs> I know that, you know, people will say that some of the things that she's done in terms of broadcasting would be accused of being hate speech. Things on this show accused of hate speech. You call them common sense, other people call them hate speech. And I think it's very dangerous to call on any government, any government, to ban speech. Even if it's the most deplorable, disgusting, vile, bigoted speech. I don't want to do that. No. I appreciate that. Good to see you. Great to see you, in fact, uh, Baroness Claire Fox. She may be the woman uh, that holds back uh, the resistance and is able to actually get some sense out of David Cameron, Lord Dave, uh, as he's now known. Uh, moving on, we've got a fantastic panel with us tonight to discuss what on earth has been going on all day. Uh, author and journalist Laura Dunsworth is here. Uh, thank you very much indeed. And, of course, senior fellow at New Culture Forum, uh, Rafe heidel Manku. Very good evening to both of you. Um, I know a lot of people are now sick to death of the story about David Cameron, but I tell you what we're going to do before we do anything else. This evening, there was an interesting uh, exchange between Piers Morgan and Jeremy Corbyn, um, which happened to be around the fact that he had previously said uh, that he was a friend of Hamas. Have a look at this. Come on, ask that. Ask me. No, you've got not on your show. You've got so many opinions. Why should I answer yours when you won't answer mine? Why do you give out your opinions all day and every day? Our Hamas. You don't like our Hamas. Our Hamas, a terror group. Yes or no? You won't like. You won't like it when somebody pushes back on you. What I've said is, I've asked you two questions: Should Hamas stay in power, and are they a terror group? You're refusing to answer either of them. That is very telling. And you wonder. Not very. And you wonder why people think you had a problem with Jewish people. Uh, right? What is you wonder is your inability to keep quiet for 30 seconds yeah. to allow anybody I, to answer a question. On my show, I ask people questions. You and shout norm at people. Normally, they answer them. I you shout at people. I, no, no, only do. when they won't answer the question. I, you shout at people all the you time. Deliberately you not, time. You Piers. deliberately not answer my question. Piers. Well, it's not a difficult question, is it? Oh, a massive terror group. You think he could have somehow found a way to say yes, Laura? Well, it's a difficult question for a lot of the mainstream media, including our national broadcaster. Oh, yes. I think it would be a difficult question for a lot of the people that are on the pro-Palestinian marches every Saturday. Mm. And, of course, the reason it's a difficult question for a lot of people is that um, political leaders, people in authority and the national broadcaster aren't being clear enough about calling Hamas ter a terrorist organisation, which, of course, is in law. End of story and fact. You know, I was on um, an alternative station the other day, oh, yeah. and I was sharing the sofa with somebody who said, "But Hamas 
the Hamas government isn't a terrorist group because the BBC doesn't call them that. You know, it's kind of a head-exploding right. moment. Yes. We want to say, well, this is the problem. This right. is the problem. We have to call Hamas terrorists because that is exactly what they are. And they don't just terrorize the Israelis, which they've done for mm. years. They terrorize their own people. Of course they do. Because they use them as human shields. Yeah. They fire rockets from from um, civilian mm. areas. They don't let them leave when they're told to evacuate because Israeli Israel is going to mount a military defense. They are the very lowest of the low mm. of terrorists. And it is disgraceful that somebody can't answer the question yeah. clearly. I, I can almost forgive the sort of mindless herbivores that are chanting its slogans that they think are innocent because they think they're mm. um, marching for peace, but Jeremy Corbyn knows better. Yeah, know. And he's just shown himself to be um, no friend to the Jews and no friend to Israel in that in that little Yeah, part. that's just the point, isn't it? I mean, since October the 7th, the mask has slipped off for so many people, mm. but in Jeremy Corbyn's case, that the mask was never on in the first place. Mm. It's been clear where his Lord is and his beliefs and his support li lies. And by someone in a position of authority not to come out and outrightly condemn Hamas, let's remember, Hamas has Nazi, Nazi roots going back to the Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah. We must remind people of that. It's deeply anti-Semitic. And for this man not to, not to condemn it emboldens other people and it legitimizes those who may think that there's actually some justification yes. behind what But isn't that what's yeah. now going to happen as well with the, with the firing of Suella Braverman? In the sense that, you know, mm. she was correct in what she said. She yeah. predicted what was going to happen. Uh, I didn't think that she should have been fired. I said it last week. I said it this morning. I said it today. Um, you know, the idea that she's now been fired is a victory, for me anyway, for the, for the Palestinian um, protesters. Is it not? I think it's um, a terrible mistake to have fired her. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm reading a little bit from today's news. Yes, I'm, sh I'm sure we all are. I mean, I, I know people, you know, liberal Jews, people who wouldn't normally say they'd like Suella Braverman, yeah. who read her piece in the Times and they said, I agree with every yeah. word. I agreed with there every word. There was nothing extreme flawless. in that piece. No, I mean, she does express her views forcibly, but I think there was nothing she said that wasn't correct. She was proved right. I mean, after all, um, the police do, um, they don't police protests even-handedly. And when people said it wasn't her place as Home Secretary to say that, I think they were exactly wrong because she wasn't getting involved in operational matters. Right. What she was doing as a minister was exactly what she should do, which is saying that the police should be even-handed yeah. in how they police protests, mm. which they haven't been, and that was demonstrated in spades this Saturday. You know, the narrative, the splash was decided on earlier in the day. Classic example, Channel 4 tweeted yes. that the protest passed off peacefully, right. and they had to delete it because, of course, it wasn't true, but they had their splash ready right. before the fireworks, before Michael Gove. They might find themselves on Pike of the Week for that one. And let's yeah. just remember, you know, Swella Braverman makes the Tory party MPs feel uncomfortable. But the Tory party MPs, I mean, Matt, Matt Goodwin has shown research into this. Tory MPs are to the left, not only of Tory voters, yeah. but they're actually to the left of the British public on care yeah. issues like immigration. So Alan Brathman, far closer to what the average right. British person, to what the average viewer yeah. of talk TV believes. Absolutely. And we know from the polling that 75% of Tory voters absolutely supported Suella Braverman. And yet here we have Sunak trying to allegedly shore up the blue wall and sacrifice the red wall mm. in an attempt to appear, appear more centrist and relevant. The fact is, he's betraying all of those 2019 voters right. who voted mm. for this government, only 38% of whom have a good opinion of David Cameron. Exactly. So this is 75% who likes Hitchens, Hitchens and I have talked about Cameron over many years, that, that he was the beginning of the sort of Blairization of the Labour Party, of, of the Conservative Party, that 
that he was the beginning of all of that, you know, let's care about the planet, let's go and hug a hoodie, you know, let's be soft on crime, let's actually be more community-minded, all of the David stuff Cameron, that they've all now got. David Cameron, David Cameron is the grim reaper of British conservatism. Yeah. Killed it in 2010, oh. and with Suella out the door now, it's as if he's come back to kill off any hope of a conservative revival. Yes. You know, Norman Tebbit called him the Pol Potts of the Tory party, trying to purge every, mem every yeah. memory of, of Thatcher. The year zero of conservatism, resetting it, essentially killed off any hopes that we have ever had in this country of seeing a revival of Toryism. Since Cameron, the Tory party has been like a zombie, staggering around right. like one of those insects with a parasite mm -hmm. in his brain, and that parasite is the ideology of New Labour. Yeah. Can I, can I say he didn't just kill off the Tory party, he killed off politics. Now, I'm going to give you a whole list of things I yeah. think is wrong with David Cameron, uh -huh. but of course he's the architect of the nudge unit. Mm. It is when um, David Did he Cameron that was, as well? I'm afraid so. No, it's when no. he was Prime Minister that he set up the Behavioural Insights Team. Oh. And you see, um, Claire Fox talked before about how this is technocracy. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It feels like we're in a post-democratic technocratic stage of our, yeah. our civilizational decline here. But I think it really... It really dates back to then because that was when they decided that instead of um, using Parliament to debate things, instead of um, persuading mm. the population of what's right and, and in fact then enacting what the population wants as set out in a manifesto, no, what they would do is try to subliminally influence people um, towards policy goals. Right. It was you know, really undemocratic to embed behavioural science mm. in government and that was under David Cameron. Well, that is another reason not to want him back, isn't it, yeah. if he'd ever wanted any more than that. But, I mean, are they now supposedly going to tell us that they've given up on all of these other views, these right-wing um, attempts at fixing the economy, you know, trying to cut taxes? They don't have to do that now if they're in the middle, do they? Oh, they can oh. say, well, we can't do that. They don't have to stop the boats. I mean, we've got a story tonight about um, £40 million being spent by the French. Uh, our money, which we gave them, uh, on things like vacuum cleaners, helicopters, and bizarrely for the French, of course, riding boots. <laughs> You've got to wear riding boots if you're in a French border force, haven't they're, you? They're also spending money. The horses. They're also spending the money protecting the Italian French border, yes. other than our own border. Well, too. funnily enough, you know, forget the Schengen Agreement. They've decided they can actually better be better off with the border between uh, Italy and, and, uh, and France, which is a very nice part of the world, by the way. Uh, it's the one part where you can go. To, to lunch in one country and have dinner in the other country and you've only had to walk a very short distance. But yeah, I mean... It's a, it's a huge sum of money and of course um, we're going to be committing a lot more money to this yeah. agreement. We've only just started. Right. It's about £40 million so far and 500 and something million euros still to come. I mean, how many more car vacuum cleaners oh. are they going to be buying? And microwaves. Yes. Microwaves. Are I don't know how that stops the small boats. Well, it helps to keep the, the, the guys who are not stopping them fed. I think that's probably yeah. what we do. And what we also know, thanks to an, ex uh, an express investigation, is that they spend an awful lot of time um, in bright nightclubs and bars on the sort of Normandy coast. Um, spending tax, uh, UK taxpayers' money, uh, having a great time. It's a complete joke. We should do, you know, we should do what the Belgians do. The Belgians intercept boats mm. in the water all the time. The French have this very weird interpretation of maritime law where they don't go into the water. No, uh, we, it's about time they did that. It ruins the riding boots. If, if if they, if we if have they, some sympathy. It's not if, good for the leather. <laughs> <laughs> but if they don't, if they don't do it, we should do it. You know, we came over for Dunkirk. Yeah, and no, no problem at all to save a hundred thousand Frenchmen. They owe us. Yeah, they're not prepared to guard their own waters. We'll do it for them. We can even bring the boats. 
get some Dunkirk spirit going the other way. reverse. That's <laughs> absolutely right. It's got to be done. Ray, thank you very much indeed. Laura, we'll be back with more because you're watching uh, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up, uh, we're going to be looking with the panel uh, at some of the papers uh, which have got some interesting stories aside from uh, all of the Tory madness. Of course, we're also uh, going to be watching what happened at Dartmoor where £10,000 is being spent on teaching inmates how to clap their hands and stamp their feet along some music lessons aimed at helping anger management. The British Red Cross is here to welcome people fleeing the conflict in Ukraine. We're here to help people safely when stalked. We're here to show anyone struggling that someone cares. Hiya, uh, thanks for coming. We're here for humanity. With your support, the Red Cross has helped millions of people in the UK and 191 other countries. Search British Red Cross to support us. Together, we are the world's emergency responders. You could try and do the job yourself. You could get it done on the cheap by your hairdresser's son's friend's dad's dog. Or you could say that's a job for the trust the trader professionals. Whatever the job, find professionals who really know what they're doing. They all have verified reviews and have passed the trust the trader 15 point assessment. So instead of coulda, woulda, shoulda, Find the trusted trader professionals at Jill Scott, queen of the jungle, and one of my favorite clients. Listen, I know you said you were done with football, but here's the kicker. There's a new show in production called Jungle for Goalposts. Contestants face football challenges in the heart of the jungle. Trip by, scribbling past lions, I expect. So can I tell them you'll be the presenter? I mean, I already am. That's better. That's tetley. Morrison's Mall Card exclusives are feeling festive this Christmas with a one litre bottle of Bailey's, now just £9.99, down from £13. More Christmas cheers. Majority of stores subject to availability. Max Cap applies. See in store and online for details. End 19th of November. Please drink responsibly. The TalkSport Fan Network is the ultimate on-demand destination for the UK's best fan-led football podcasts. Including full-on Fulham FC analysis and opinion with the Cottage Talk crew. The TalkSport Fan Network. Unbeatable club-dedicated content created by the fans. For the fans. Follow the show now on the TalkSport Fan Network. Money Super 7, your mission, saving Britain on their household bills. What have we got? I can save people up to £176 on their home insurance. Broadband! I beg your pardon? Sorry, boss. Big mistake. I can save people on broadband and travel insurance. Oh, a multitasker and a multi-saver. See how much you could save today with Money Supermarket. 51% of consumers could save up to £176.68. Consumer Intelligence, September 2023, UK only. Love barbecue sauce. Love crispy chicken breast fillet and smoky barbecue sauce. Love cheddar cheese with barbecue sauce. Love red onion oozing in barbecue sauce. Oh, everything's better with barbecue sauce. Introducing the new McCrispy Barbecue Smokehouse. Available until the 21st of barbecue sauce. I mean until the 21st of November. Served after 11am. Subject to availability. They can take away your opinion, but they can't take away your freedom of speech. Talk Radio, the home of common sense. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. And now, it's time for this. The World of Work. When you think of Dartmoor Prison, does it conjure up a lovely idyllic scene of happy, clappy vicars? 
music lessons and the sound of joy coming from well upholstered rooms? Or is it more likely to make you think of Victorian squalor, where dangerous men are looked up to keep society safe? Whatever you might think, it ought to be. It's lots more like the former than it is like the latter. Why? Because if you were to visit the desolate Devon Category C jail, whose foundation stone was laid around the time of the Napoleonic Wars, it wouldn't be unusual to hear the dulcet tones of Justin Timberlake or Farrell Williams wafting around the granite walls high on the moor. That's right, the inmates are being taught how to clap their hands and stamp their feet to music by way of a new body percussion program where they're encouraged to use different parts of their bodies to make noise, including slapping their fingers and slapping their thighs. Sounds a bit woke to me. And of course, it's you and me footing the bill. There's another 10 grand down the drain because the prison servers have had to hire a team of people to do it. Researchers say it lowers blood pressure, improves stress levels, and reduces the symptoms of depression. Marvellous, isn't it? Doesn't lower my blood pressure. So if you put happy or can't stop the feeling on in the car, just remember that's more of your money going down the drain. Any chance of throwing any at the victims of crime? No, thought not. And that is the world of work. The world of work. I always feel better after that. Um, Laura Dosworth is here, uh, Rafe Heidel-Mancure as well. I mean, I, you might say the return of David Cameron is the return of the world of woke, isn't it? I mean, I've got a yes. great Sun headline, front page, Recall Me Dave, which is rather good. <laughs> good I headline. do like that. Good very headline. Good, very good. But you're still more worried, not just about him coming mm. back, but about Suella Braverman leaving, right? Yeah, I think both. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not up to date with all of the appointments today because I thought that the um, reintroduction of this some um, swiftly peerage David Cameron yeah. and the sacking of Sue Alabravan tells you everything that you need to know, which is that we're in a really very depressing post-democratic state. Yeah. Now, about Suella Braverman, I'll say that she, she got it right. I said that before in her piece. And I think that there's been more than liberal hand-wringing about the things she's had to say about multiculturalism. Mm. I think she's come in for a very specific type of anger yes. and disapproval and disgust from people because she has said that multiculturalism isn't working. Right. The thing is, she's in tune with, I think, what a lot of um, conservative voters, but a lot of people around the country mm. see, especially in the light of these pro-Palestinian marches. Yeah. Now, this isn't to say there's anything wrong with being a multi-ethnic or multi-religious country. These are good things, but multiculturalism is different. That is when, you know, we're seeing it play out that people put their identity group mm. before a national identity. Yes. You know, we have people on the streets marching for jihad and intifada right. and for the annihilation of a state which has a of legal, a third country. <laughs> a legal, a moral yeah. right to exist. You know, it's quite incredible. Mm. She called it absolutely right. I think, I don't like playing a victim card, but I think that actually she comes in for a special type of anger because she's a woman and a woman of colour. Yeah. You know, her and Priti Patel. And she's Patel, not left-wing, which is what she's meant she's, to be, and, right? Right, so she's supposed to say, you know, she's supposed to trot out certain lines as a woman of colour. And because she is, you know, she has convictions, which I happen to agree with, and courage of convictions, people don't like her. She's my kind of woman, yeah. though. She's brilliant. Now. Right. With David, with David Cameron coming back, I mean, Rishi Sunak could only have impressed me if he'd summoned nothing less than the spirit of Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. And instead we've got a failed Prime Minister who left. Right. Who is still kind of surely wafting under a cloud of disgrace from the Greensill scandal. Well, you yeah. Know, he WhatsApped Rishi Sunak, I think, nine times to get support mm. for a bank that he had financial interest yeah. in. 
I know. And I was come back in through well, the back door. This is it, Rafe. I mean, the rewriting of history is not something we're unused to, is it, here, when, when we look at the way that people are... I mean, William Hague's written a piece in the Times about how decent uh, Cameron is and what a great asset he'll be to the Tory party. Richie's big throw of the dice is what it says uh, on the front page of the Daily Mail. Um, but to go back to um, to your uh, assessment of, of Suella Brahma being the wrong kind of, of ethnic minority and having the wrong kind of view, I mean, David Cameron is everything that the Tories have supposedly hated for years. He's an old Etonian. Yeah. Well, you know, he's a, he's a sort of member of the establishment of old. He's mm. hopelessly rich. You know, we've now got people running the country who not only weren't elected, but have got more money than Croesus. How does what, that work? Today's what, Mon Monday 13th of November, right? Suella out, Cameron in. This yeah. is the day that Tory party populism died. Yeah. This great experiment we were hoping right. for is completely over. It's back to the Bullington Club. Yeah. It's back, it's back to, you know, these liberal patricians and the old elite. But just to get back what you, to what you were saying, because Suella Bravman, and I've been speaking about the same topic for a while. In fact, Suella lifted one of my lines from one of my recent speeches about diversity without crediting me. But anyway, um, whenever we discuss this, Somehow we're the, the left tried to silence us. Oh yeah. well, how can you possibly say this, given your background? How can you be against multiculturalism? A deliberately disingenuous way mm. to actually conf conflate a multiracial society yeah. like we used to have in the 80s and mm. 90s, mm. when no one thought about race. No. When I saw Daley Thompson or Linford no, Christie or Tessa Sanderson. They were all right. British. What we have now is the promotion of minority cultures over the predominant British culture. Yeah. And that's a very different thing. And Suella calls it out, but I think it's deliberately being disingenuous by those people who choose to interpret it that way. But yes, you're quite right about, about Cameron, absolutely. And his foreign policy record of our oh, foreign secretary even worse. is an absolute joke. He right. was a man who wanted to become China's best friend, mm. who was chided by the Americans for his closeness of the relationship, who wanted to open up China to the European Union as a market economy, right. complete catastrophe, giving them access to nuclear power plants in right. the country, to our universities, our own institutions. You look at him in Libya, Libya is a failed state because of yeah. what uh, he did there. Um, you just have to look at... And we have got a big... And, 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 and well. it's not unconnected to our massive illegal migrant problem. Half of them were coming at one point from the north coast of Africa via Libya. And then just look at, for example, look at the Scottish referendum. He almost lost us, Scotland. People mm. forget, actually. Yeah. He allowed the SNP far more time than was necessary to have an election campaign. Yes. We began that referendum campaign with support for unionism very right. high. It could have been a three-week campaign. He gave over a right. year for it. And then, of course, he allowed them to set the question. Right. Now, if you set the question, it's obviously biased in your favour, as you all know. A yes answer is yeah. always more likely to get a positive response. Mm. Uh, and then again, we saw a failure to get the EU concessions. Everything he's touched. And Project Fear. Let me mention Project Fear, um, which of course was was well, another one of his inventions. People have said to me as well, how soon before we see George Osborne's head uh, suddenly peering around the corner at Downing Street? Don't jinx. And he'll be back. Don't jinx it. You Don't know, he'll be back with his pasty um, you know, and it's well, we should have tomorrow's evening standard here actually to see yeah. how <laughs> glowing it is about. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not sure it is anymore because he's gone now. Oh, I, know, I didn't I even think, know that. Uh, right. No, I think um, he's gone. What, one he more ruined thing the paper on, um, and then left. <laughs> one more thing on Dave Cameron and foreign policy. Um, you know, the, the most important global story right now has to be Israel yeah. in the Middle East. And back in 2010 in Turkey, David Cameron described. Gaza as being a prison camp. Yes. Not even the normal open-air prison, but a prison camp. Mm. And that is very specific language, yeah. which is supposed to recall concentration camps. It's a very specific, spiteful, and I think intentful slur mm. um, at, the, at the Israelis and at the Jews. I think it was a terrible thing to say, and so it's a really strange time, really, for him to, yeah. to slide well, back into I mean, politics what's, what's now, and a bit of worry. What's his first conversation going to be with, with um, Ursula von der Leyen when he goes to Brussels to talk about 
Britain's relationship with the European Union. It's hardly going to be anything other than, well, I'm really sorry I lost you, Britain. I'll see what I can do to get it back. That's bound to be what he says, isn't it? Mm. Well, well, probably. And, um, you know, he's, he's great friends with Saudi princes, isn't he? And I don't, I don't think that we want his sort of meddling in, in um, Israel at the no. moment. I think the way that people are describing him, those who are his friends, that he will be a great asset uh, because he's got respect in the Middle East. Really? I don't know who's, who's ever come up with that idea and, and where that comes from. Well, it's funny that people who are praising and celebrating this appointment, I watched the uh, BBC Politics Live today and oh, yeah. Andrew, Marr were, Andrew Marr was singing his praises. Of course. This is from a chap who was yeah. handing out Marxist Leninist pamphlets at university outside yeah. King's Cross Station. Well, he's been described <laughs> as a grown-up in politics. Yeah. Well, really? The guy that hummed his way back into Downing Street after saying he was chucking his toys out of the pram. But let's look at a couple of other stories. Uh, the Sun on page 26 today uh, has got a headline that says, He'll kill again. This is Jeremy Bolger's father basically issued a plea to parole chiefs not to free him. Coming up tomorrow, there's going to be the start of a two-day private hearing, um, uh, which basically is going to decide whether or not his killer, John Venables, can be freed. This is the third time he will have been freed if they are uh, uh, given the opportunity to leave. He's been released twice before and recalled twice mm. because of his inability to stop um, acting like a paedophile, effectively. It's astonishing that he could have a third go. Well, it? you have to think that maybe it's time that we introduced here what Bill Clinton began in America, which yeah. is three strikes and you're out policy. Absolutely. And certainly it seems as if, you know, I mean, imagine if he gets out. Three strikes and you're in, you mean? Yeah, well, three strikes <laughs> and you're in, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But imagine if he gets out a third time and causes something outrageous to happen. Well, I mean, I, I, mean I, I know that the, you know, the liberal kind of establishment in terms of penal, um, Pro, um, you know, punishments likes to release people and likes to give them a second chance and likes to say that rehabilitation is a thing but I can't understand how somebody who's done this such a heinous crime um, and has been released twice before and had to be recalled I just don't understand why you would try it again a third time surely at some point even they would realize this is not likely to be a good idea well the parole board's another institution that's been captured and needs yeah. serious reform yeah I think it's heartbreaking that it's Jamie Bolger's dad who is the one who has to make this call, yeah. this, this call for sanity. Um, he shouldn't have to do this. because no. sh He shouldn't be up for a third release. No, he really shouldn't. On the same page, though, they've got a fascinating picture of a squirrel, uh, which says, on the blink, this may be everybody's favourite picture in the, uh, in the next 24 <laughs> hours, um, snapper Johnny Capper, 57 years old, took a photo of his special forest studio uh, near Gothenburg in Sweden. Um, and basically, the, the, somehow, I don't know how he's managed it, but it looks like a red squirrel. Um, but it's, it appears to be, appears to be winking. Well, he's, he's winking at British politics, isn't he? I mean, normally I might find this cute, but on a day like today, I think it looks a bit sinister. It's a bit sinister. Why is the squirrel winking at us like this? I think it's lost. What does he know? There is always that possibility. Not as good as my little video, which I made onto, I've said this before, made it onto Have I Got News For You. Um, when I looked out in my garden one day, and there was a squirrel in the garden, I kid you not, with a piece of spaghetti, and it was eating the spaghetti in such a way that it just kind of disappeared into its mouth. It was the strangest thing ever. And again, so that was my second outing on Have I Got News For You, because obviously I made it on that concrete scenario. <laughs> um, they always like making fun of me for some reason. I'm very happy to let them do it. I just wish they'd pay me. <laughs> yeah, I, I have astroturf on my terrace, and yesterday there was a squirrel trying to feverishly dig it up to bury his nuts. Oh, really? Decking, Goodness gracious me. Um, <laughs> Your greatest footballer, our greatest grandfather, at the end of the day, is obviously an awful lot of coverage of the Bobby Charlton funeral. I know football isn't everybody's bag, but he was a remarkable individual, Rafe. I'll leave you to uh, to eulogise um, a man who's been called one of the well, greatest footballers of, of, of this country's 
entire history. And not just a footballer, you know, he sort of symbolised what it meant to be a proper sportsman, a gentleman. He, it harkened us back to a degree of civility when mm. people played sport, not for great amounts of money, no. not for their image, but actually because out of a love and a passion yeah. for the game. And I think he, be, you know, he reminds us all of the true great spirit mm. of sportsmanship and of decency, which unfortunately we seem to have lost quite a bit of today. We do. Very well said. Uh, Laura uh, and uh, Ray, thank you very much indeed to both of you. Um, fascinating. I don't know what the next 24 hours is going to be, uh, be like, but is anything like the last 24 hours? You're going to need to, you know, uh, take a holiday pretty soon. John Major, we've uh, back. Well, I wonder, we've got, I think we've got more ex-Prime Ministers now hanging around than ever before. But listen, that's all from me tonight. You've been watching uh, the Independent Republican Microphone. Thanks to Laura, thanks to Ray. Thank you uh, to all of you for watching and calling in. I'll see you tomorrow at 9pm, only on Talk TV. Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.